informative podcast all about training working dogs look no further than the lwdg pod dog this weekly show is hosted by me joanne parrot founder of the ladies working dog group and i chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice whether you're just getting started or you've been working dogs for years this podcast will have something for you so pull up a chair pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to lwdg pod dog and let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Poddog. This week we're going to be talking about taking training one step at a time. And we're going to be talking loads about transitional behavioural changes for dogs and for humans. Joining me for this amazing podcast is LWDG Mindset Coach Emil Dell and also LWDG Group Expert Samantha Thornicott-Taylor. How are you both today? I'm good, thanks, Joe. How are you? I'm good. And how are you, Emma? I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm looking forward to today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation as well because I'm probably one of those people who tends to go at things a little bit like a bull in a china shop, where it's like an all or nothing. I decide to give up chocolate. I don't decide to give up chocolate like a little bit. I decide to give up chocolate forever. And like three days later, I munch at a family bar. And I just try to make things really big, really quickly. And I know this is something that some of our members tend to do, where they like try to do everything at once. And it's not good for us or our dogs, is it? No, from my perspective, certainly from from how we deal with things as, as humans, we don't like change. Um, and if you think about it, most of us have even the same routine every morning, uh, right down to when we feed our dogs or even right down to the order in which we put our clothes on, um, which sock we put on first. So we are massively, massively creatures of habit. So having this concept of doing something differently or having to change how we do something can be really, really daunting. And we tend to go through, like you said, Joe, the all or nothing aspects of it. Um, so it's the same diet. It's a really great way of, of kind of explaining that where we go to Tesco's, we throw out all our, all our food that's not very great for us. We buy a whole trolley full of vegetables. We put it on the uh, checkout conveyor belt. We almost want everyone to congratulate us about how fantastic our diet is. And then about three days later, we're tucking into a pavlova and, and then generally being quite hard on ourselves as to why it all went wrong. So yeah, absolutely. Change can be terrifying for a lot of people. We tend to, humans, we tend to enforce then those transitional behavioural changes if we decide it's a, a dog training change that we want to make. We, try, we do it with them, don't we? we? We make things different for them on a massive scale. We do, um, you know, and it can be anything like if we've been, for example, struggling with our dog pulling on a lead, we sort of wake up one morning and we go, right, this is going to change, it's going to change right now. And whilst, yes, we want to put those changes in place, what we often do is instead of sort of practicing having the dog walking nicely on a lead around your kitchen or around your garden, we take it for a four hour walk in a really busy, highly distracting place and expect those changes to all happen all at once because we woke up that morning and said, today's the day it's gonna change. Um, and it doesn't work in that big a transition. I think though, like you just said there, we get up in the morning and we're like, right, this is changing. This like all or nothing approach is a little bit like we, we reach the end of our limit with something. So like we we'll go back to the, to the weight loss. For me, I normally decide at some point when I write my, I, I have this like sort of level in my, in my brain of where my weight can never go over. And if I get close to that, I'm like, right, it's all changing. It's all changing today. And like you just said with the dogs, like, right, he's just pulled me down the street for the last time. It's all changing today. Do you think it's like a, a, a straw that breaks the camel back approach that sends us over the edge, our frustration goes over the edge, and then we just attack it rather than plan these tiny steps? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, I think it's really good to break down, actually, what happens behind change. Um, and we think change is just an all or nothing thing, but actually, mentally, we go through stages behind that. So we have this pre-contemplation stage, which is, I want to do things differently. 
So that's that's kind of the moment where you wake up and you decide that you're going to be an amazing dog trainer overnight, no matter what you've learned before or no matter what dog you've got. Um, and and that's you've not even consciously made any changes yet. It's just in your brain of like, I want to do something differently. Um, what can self-sabotage at that point? And it's important to understand that at each point of change, we can self-sabotage is we can kind of go into denial around that of like, no, it's not really an issue actually. Is it so bad? Is he really pulling that bad on the lead? Is it, I mean, he only jumped up on one child and knocked them over. Maybe it's not such a difficult thing. Then we go into kind of stage two, which is contemplating. And, and for a lot of us, we get stuck there. We get, we contemplate about, I want to do the new thing. I want my dog to be amazing on the lead. I want my dog to be able to do a blind retrieve at God knows what distance. Um, and again, the sabotaging around that is that I don't have time or maybe it's not that bad or maybe it's too hard for me to do it. If we get past that, we then go into what we call the preparation phase, which I put my hands up. I absolutely love. Um, that's the bit where you decide you're going to buy all this new kit. You're going to buy this new super duper dummy. You're going to listen to this webinar or podcast. It's going to revolutionize my life. The same as you go and get your conveyor belt of, you know, delicious vegetables. And that's your preparation. And for a lot of people, they, they're fine in that phase because it's very rewarding. It's exciting. I'm, I'm anticipating doing the new thing. Very similar to dogs, I'm sure. And I know Sam will go into this in a bit. And then there's the action part, which is actually, I'm going to try the new thing, whatever that might be, the new dummy, the new technique, the new whatever's going on. Um, the difficulty that happens is the point that comes after that, which is maintenance, which is I have to repeat it potentially until it feels normal or easy. And I can go into transition in a bit and break that down for you, which I'm sure will be very useful. Um, but that's the bit where often we give up is the maintenance part of it. That's the bit where we struggle. Um, and then if we move out of that, we either go into relapse if it doesn't go too well uh, because we can't carry on with the maintenance or we kind of go into to recycle where we go back and reevaluate and go, right, what, what have I done? What didn't go too well? What can I do differently? What do I need to add in? What do I need to take away? Who do I need to talk to to be able to get a result? So all of those different things, those six different areas, which for us feel like a split second in our brain potentially, are broken down aspects that we have to have in place before we can have change, take action on change, and then make it a more permanent thing in our life. When you go through those six steps, I think I'm listening to them thinking, mm, I live between preparation and relapse. <laughs> it's like <laughs> those two parts. Um, I think and, I sit in contemplation. I think that's where I stay. Yeah, and like, there is like, we see contemplation, but it's almost like that overwhelm of what the change is going to be. And Sam, when we're doing this with our dogs, do you think like, you know, how many people do you have turn up to you and go, you know, with a really little pup and go, right, I would like it to be do able to do all these things by the end of the class? Hundreds. <laughs> um, it's the amount of times that I have to say to Bibrino, don't run before you can walk. This is a young puppy. They have the attention span of a goldfish. You know, you cannot just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And actually, if you do to a certain extent, you end up creating problems that had you just slowed down in the first place wouldn't have become an issue. Um, going to what Emma was saying about the maintenance phase, I think that's probably where a lot of people fall down in the dog training um, bit because we practice things a few times. We go, yep, yeah, nailed it, brilliant. And then we might go on and start trying to change or introduce something else, but we forget that with all dogs the key is repetition 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 you cannot you can never do too many repetitions of one thing in order to get it right in your mind and the dog's mind um but also you know we've woken up and have decided that today's the day we've we reached our limit and i've gone right i've had enough for whatever reason this is changing today it's not going to carry on as it was anymore but the dog hasn't reached that limit, you know, going to pulling on the lead. Well, the dog pulls on the lead to the park and then gets freedom. So the dog actually, it, as far as it's concerned, life is rosy. I, I pull to get there and then I get a good run around and it's all great fun. So we've got to communicate to our dog that we've made the decision that these changes are going to happen. And then we've got to go through all those stages that Emma spoke about with the repetition, the consistency and a whole load of maintenance in order to get the end result so like when we're chatting right now i'm sort of like smiling and, and 
it's it's like this whole thing isn't it like whether it's maintenance like the basics over and over like we talk about it all the time the the the, the people who make like field trial champion they've done the basics over and over and over which is like emma said the maintenance section but a lot of us don't believe that it's the basics over and over again we think there's like this this magic route or this like way that we don't know about yet or something that was going to make like everything change in a heartbeat do you think that we are hard on ourselves and expect changes or we, we think change is going to be like an overnight process we don't allow for the fact it's a year's process not a day's absolutely absolutely and the thing is is that maintenance if we're very honest is boring it is boring you know being on that kind of changed health plan where I can't have takeaway four times a week or going out and doing heel work, you know, repetitively, consistently, boundaried, correcting every time, having that kind of almost zero tolerance. That's boring. That's I don't want to do that. I want to go to the park and I want to throw some dummies around and make my dog look awesome and have fun with them. So often, depending on what the maintenance thing is, it can be really tedious for us. And so we look for the new novel thing. So, and I, I'm guilty of it, like everyone else, as we kind of go, well, that's, you know, well, I've done that and I've tried that. So there must be a new technique, a new dummy, a new training aid, a new gimmick, because I'm looking for something novel. I'm looking for something new. I'm looking for something to mix that up. And that's, and that's just because I want to do something slightly, because maintenance can be really, really boring. Do you find that as well with Sam when you like, somebody's come to you for the fifth lesson and you're like, okay, heal work. And they're like, no please not the same thing again i do yeah and I, I will for the majority of the sessions i do i will use heel work to sort of get the dog in the mindset that actually today is work it's not just a free-for-all so i think heel work is a good way of getting focus getting engagement getting eye contact from your dog um and yeah i get some people that you know they're sort of oh you know, i really want to work on retrieving i say okay well we'll just do like 30 seconds of heel work a minute max oh really but actually when you then are watching that heel work you pick up on little things that need adapting that need changing so it was of paramount importance that you did that anyway not only to get the dog's engagement but also because there was something that wasn't quite right and it needed tweaking um you know but you get loads of people that they want to come and they want to do dummy work or like emma said they're like oh you know i bought this new dummy i want to do some work with it today and you say okay but you know did you work on the delivery with the boring dummy that we were using last week well no because i've got this new one okay but if the dog won't deliver the boring one it's not going to deliver the new one so you've got to layer these foundations you've got to get everything right and go through it step by step rather than just sort of racing towards that end goal and missing out on important stages and processes in the, in the meantime if you look at like you know you're saying about like the retrieve section even for simple things like we all know we're meant to drink two liters of water like the whole world knows it's meant to be drinking two liters of water now it's not a shock um our phones tell us normally you know like watches tell us everything's telling us and sometimes i'm thinking oh my god i've, I've drunk like 500 ml of water today and i literally have to remind myself that i've got to do the basics i've got to drink my two liters of water it's really important for my brain health so do you think that like there's something in us that almost fight doing the basics. Absolutely. And I think I think that's I think the key of that is the transition, isn't it? Um, you know, and certainly, and Sam will be able to probably go into what happens a lot more about that with my with dogs, but certainly I can see when I am out with my dog, there is a transition to him just being lounging around the house and essentially a pet dog to then trans transitioning into a working mindset of I'm now asking you to do something, we have to work together as a team to achieve that goal. So it's that transition. Um, and, and that is a new way of thinking. And we seem to think it's just do something different. Well, we're creatures of habit. Dogs are creatures of habit. So just doing something different is not easy. It is one of the most com complex processes we have in our brain. And, and that's why something which seems really simple, like eat less of this food, drink more water, go to sleep at a X time, seems like an almost impossible task, no matter how many times our phones bleep at us or our watches tell us or whatever else. And that's because 
we've got to have a new way of thinking. And I know we spoke about that in the first Mindset podcast around laying down those strands that we have of repeated behaviour to then strengthen a behaviour in our brains, let alone our dog brains. So it's about training a new way of thinking. We then have to, what we call in psychology, we call it socialisation into a new culture. So going from the person that doesn't drink much water to being someone that drinks quite regularly. So it's about repetition at that point. It's then about leaving that previous culture, potentially, if it's quite an ingrained habit around, I don't do that anymore, I now do this. And that's quite hard, presumably with dogs. And I know Sam will probably give some great examples about when old habits kind of creep back in. And then it's dealing with the actual transition process itself. It's, it's not, we don't go from A to B without a bit in the middle. That gap in the middle is the transition process. And that's the bit actually where, certainly from my perspective, as humans trying to integrate a new habit, and especially for handlers, that's where we struggle because when we're trying a new habit, we have what we call initial incompetence because we're learning something new. So we don't do it brilliantly to start off with because we've got to train that new habit. And that's when we find we give up. We have that imposter syndrome. We say we can't do it. We're not good enough. It's not working. We're not doing it right. Um, So it's that gap in the middle that is so, so very crucial. So a really good analogy that I use when I work with people is imagine you've got a garden that for whatever reason you don't tend to very well. And you walk the same path to the shed every day. That will become a really, really, really well-worn path. And it will be very easy to walk in a direct line to that shed. And the rest of the garden will grow up and you'll have brambles and all sorts of other things. So that's how our mind thinks. So then, so what we're essentially asking our mind to do is go, I know that path really, really well worn, but what I'd like you to do is go through the brambles around the apple tree at the back and then go to the same shed to get hopefully a better outcome. Well, that's really hard because I don't want to go through the brambles because it's painful. So what will happen, like creatures of habit that we all are, is I'll slip to going down that path again. And it might be, and we'll start off with maybe, I don't know, um, say, for example, three out of five times I'll pick the new path, but two out of five, I'll still pick the old path. Well, that's when the imposter syndrome, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. See, I still did the old thing rather than going, actually, three times I went down the new path. And then that will become four. And then that will become five. And before we know it, we have rewired our brain. That path will then become well-worn and much easier to walk down. And the path that we've not used will then get covered with brambles and not be used anywhere near as much. So that's exactly how we work when we think. And and so instead of actually when we kind of fail potentially or relapse and go back to that old habit of letting our dog pull on the lead or let it or that, or do you know what? I only drank one litre of water today. Okay, that's fine. But but you can start again now. That's fine. You can you can start afresh. You can take that more difficult path again and make that a well-worn path for the future. I love the path. Um, what is the word? You know what I mean. But I like that because you're quite right, isn't it? But you are right. We won't see the three times as being any sort of success, even though it is. And Sam, do you see that like with people? They they don't give themselves time to learn the new way. I do. And I use a, a similar pathway an- analogy as well. Um, you know, and I'll say to people, if, for example, you've got a dog that, has fallen into a habit of chasing rabbits um you know and it's in its mind it's got this pathway of chasing rabbits is really rewarding and when i see a rabbit i chase them and that's what happens and then when we try and go down the route of correction and education and sort of teaching the dog no we don't chase the rabbits you can look at it you can watch it go but i've taught you an alternative behavior i've taught you an alternative pathway this is the one we need to follow And at that point, we've got two minds that are fighting against each other because it's not just us changing our own mindset. It's us trying to change our dog's mindset. Um, So we need to put the dog on the new path and we need to do various different sort of training techniques and and corrections and education to teach the dog that 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 old pathway, that's the one that now needs to get overgrown with all those brambles and we need to forget it. We need to take this new one. Um, excuse me and trying to get the consistency a because to a certain extent the dog is going to fight back against this you know it wants to go and chase that rabbit it finds that really rewarding and it has no reason in its own brain to not do that because it's great fun and then it's got us going no no no, we don't do that anymore um so we've got to be really consistent in the we don't take that path anymore 
we take this one. And again, that's where things can fall down because if a couple of times the dog goes, I'm sorry, mum, I know what you're saying, but stuff you on this occasion because I just can't help myself. Um, you know, and it can then give the human the feeling of I'm not good enough or I just can't get this. I just can't. And, and then when you've got those feelings of self-doubt, you do end up sort of going, oh, well, all right, well, we'll maybe we'll try something different or we'll leave that one for now. Um, so, yeah, you definitely see it with, with dogs and humans when training as well. Well, you just described it, if you think about it, the dog is like an, an external version of our mind, isn't it? In our minds, we have two different fights. Outside of our minds, we have two different fights. But also, like you just said, the, the dog doesn't even maybe want to change. It's, it is that sort of enforced thing. And that is a little bit, I think, in our own minds. Like, as many times as I give up chocolate, oh my God, literally, I could, if you went to back to Facebook and write giving up chocolate into a search bar for me, it's there about 52 times over the last 15 years. But there is a part of me that really doesn't want to give it up. So I have that sort of fight internally all the time. How do we help our ladies who, they've got changes they want to make they want their dog to walk to heal beautifully or not chase the rabbit or drink the two liters of water whatever they be the behavioral change is going to be something that they want to see it be in a permanent change so like not like you know some people for example we keep on going back to weight loss but all the ladies will understand you might be going on holidays and you think right i'll, I'll just tighten up for four weeks before we go and then afterwards i'm fine it's not like a, a temporary change but a permanent behavioral change in themselves or their dogs, how can they make it last? Because I know there's loads of ladies who are laughing as they listen to this, but they're also saying, yeah, but I've been trying to do that for five years now, and I'm still not any further forward, regardless of what I try. Absolutely. And I think I think we have to look at what is the goal. We have to remind ourselves, why am I doing this? And that can be anything. Why am I asking my dog to do this? What's the long-term goal with them? why am I looking to change my health? Why am I looking to change my diet? And, and you have to hold why you're doing that and almost remind yourself every day that is why I'm doing that. You know, so whether that's potentially going right, I am, I am, yeah, absolutely working on heel work every day, although I find it really tedious and boring and I'm sure my dog finds it really tedious and boring because actually in a period of time, x weeks or x months i want to be able to take my dog for a walk without feeling like i'm going to get dragged down the road or i want to be able to go for a walk with my family and not be constantly focused on my dog the entire time where actually i can engage with other people around me a little bit more um it's same for any kind of health change you know i would always say hold in mind the main aim of why you're doing this um because otherwise the short-term win is always going to win the short-term goal will always win so the chocolate is going to win over the whereas if I'm reminding myself actually I want to get to a healthy body weight because I want to be able to go for a five mile walk with my dog once every month or because I have an underlying health condition that I want to improve or because I know it's good for my mental health or I know it's good for my emotional health actually if I have that in mind every time I'm looking at whatever change I'm going to do that's going to be much more meaningful. The fact is we lose it out of our head. We lose it out of our mind. And that quick win is so much more important. That quick urge of like, do you know what? I feel uncomfortable. So I'm going to do that or I'm going to eat that. Or do you know what? I'm just going to let them drag me to the park because it's just, I, I can't be doing with it today. Um, that long-term goal of, but this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm looking for out of my relationship with my health, my body, my dog, whatever it might be. If I hold that main aim and also not be hard on myself on the journey through it. So again, if, if you are, you're setting yourself up to fail, if you've thrown away every bit of unhealthy food in your house, if actually you normally engage in eating food like that every day, to go cold turkey is going to be really, really hard for you. So I would, I would say to somebody like, let's say, for example, you want to make a really simple change, like you want to not have um, sugar in your tea or coffee. You want to reduce sugar in your diet. I wouldn't say throw away all your chocolate, throw away all your sweets, throw away everything else. I would say, right, do you know what? You have, I don't know, two spoons of sugar in your cup of tea or coffee. How many times a day? Oh, three times a day. So you have six teaspoons of sugar a day. Okay, can the first two have two teaspoons of sugar? And can you do that for a week? And then the next two teas and coffees, for the next two weeks, can you make that just one teaspoon of sugar? So actually you've halved the amount of sugar you've had. 
already. So it is about those incremental changes. Um, and, and that's so, so key. You know, we are, we are still animals at the, at the end of the day. So making sure that whatever our changes are, they are incremental. We're going to set ourselves up to succeed rather than fail. Um, and it's exactly the same. Any form of suggestion that we put in our brain, if I sit here, you know, in front of you two ladies and go, right, what I would like you to do is I don't want you to think about a polar bear. I don't want you to think about a polar bear dancing on a ball. And I don't want you to think about a polar bear singing a song while dancing on a ball and holding an umbrella. Those are going to be the things you're thinking of. So as soon as we deny ourselves something by saying, I'm not going to have any chocolate or I'm not going to do this, we're going to want it. Rather than reminding ourselves, the reason I'm choosing not to do this is because I want this as an outcome in the longer term. So it's not denying yourself. It is a choice. And we do much better with choices than feeling like we're denying ourselves something. So Sam, do you think, like where Emma's touched there on incremental changes, is that the, the mindset we need to have when we're training our gun dogs? Well, I'm sure it is, but I currently have an image of a polar bear dancing on a ball holding an umbrella in my head. Dancing <laughs> <laughs> in, dancing in. <laughs> um, so yes, it is absolutely incremental changes. Um, you know, you just because your dog can... Uh, stay in a sit position while you stand next to it for 20 seconds doesn't mean it's going to be able to stay in a sit position whilst you walk 200 meters across a busy dog park jumping up and down and throwing its favorite ball around um, you know we've got to do everything incrementally so that comes back to um, the three d's which we use a lot in dog training distance duration and distraction we need to introduce increase them one at a time ideally and also very very gradually um, and work through it step by step so that we are making the whole process easier for the dog to understand we're not making too big a leap and then the dog's failing we've got to set it up to succeed as much as we possibly can so that it has the joy just as much as we have the joy and obviously the more you enjoy doing something the more you're rewarded for doing something the more you're going to do it um, so yeah, incremental changes, step by step, and and don't run. It's really interesting what you said there because in, in the group, somebody wrote this week that they just started doing the hot masala course, and they thought their sit was great until they asked their dog to sit for a duration without like interacting with them, and they realised that they can only get twenty second sits before they have to reward again, and they were like. I hadn't even thought about it. If somebody had said, does your dog sit well? I would have said yes. But it is that thing, isn't it? We think something's like so, like sorted, nailed, because we see in brief glimpses of that behaviour, but we haven't really built, like Emma said, that, that well-trodden pathway of sit means sit until I ask you to do something else. I think exactly that. And also when we're thinking about it from a dog training point of view, it's very easy to park something. So we can get our dog to sit and to stay for 20 seconds and we go, right, I've done that. Brilliant. I'll move on to the next thing. And the next thing could be retrieving. It could be hunting. It, it could be, you know, a recall from a distraction. It could be anything else. But in our mind, we've done sit, stay. So we just don't go back to it. Um, you know, and it's, we've got to remember, particularly when we're working with another living brain, that we do have to keep going back to basics and keep repeating and keep reminding and keep being consistent just because your dog is capable of doing a thousand yard retrieve, stopping twice, redirecting and having other retrieves on the way doesn't mean that it remembers to walk nicely on the lead or that it can't chase a rabbit when you're on your family walk on a weekend. If you don't still consistently practice those basics and foundations. I've been, as you know, learning to play the piano and I've been doing really well and I've been doing it every single day. And like for Christmas, I, I went from a keyboard to a, a proper piano, but I couldn't have it delivered because we meant to move. We still have moved. So we, we were like, right, we're just going to have to have that piano secure. The person's not going to hold it up for us anymore. So I gave my keyboard to my son and I was like, right, you have that at Nan's with you and I'll have this piano. So I must have given it to him maybe a week ago, week and a half ago. So not long. And I was up there the other day and my grand was there, bless her, she's 90. And my mother was like, play the piano. I was like, please, no, I'm nowhere near good enough to play the piano. But I sat down and none of it made sense. And I was like, 
I can't read the music. I don't know what I'm meant to be pressing. And I'm thinking that was just like a week and a half. I'm not doing a little bit every day because I wasn't doing hours and hours. I was doing like 10 or 15 minutes every day, enough to reinforce my learning. It must have been. And then it was a real big shock to me how much I had forgotten or lost in that such short time. And for our dogs, it must feel the same, mustn't it? It does, yeah. And, you know, I look at it um, when we were allowed to start going back out training after COVID, for example. Um, you know, I got to the end of sort of two or three hours of back to back lessons and I could barely string a sentence together. And this is something that I've essentially done for, I don't know, 15 years, day in, day out. I stand in front of clients and I train their dog with them. But I had an, a period where I couldn't physically do that. And my brain just went, you can forget it, sunshine. <laughs> you know, and so dogs are the same because if you don't practice things, if you don't remind them what the stop whistle is, if you don't go through your straight line retrieves, you know, and then all of a sudden you just say to them, right, go and get that retrieve that's 200 yards away and you send them across the middle of a wide open field. If they've not done it for ages, their line won't be straight. It will be a bit wobbly. They might look at you for some help in some direction. They will most likely remember that they've got to go out and pick something up. So they'll probably get there eventually, especially if you've got a really, really driven dog. But they forget the finer elements of what it was that we're asking of them. And, um, you know, we're talking about these sort of um, forgetting behaviours. Um, is, is this some, one of the things that we face with our changes as well? Is like, if we do manage to do a change for a set amount of time and think, okay, well, yes, I have managed to, to, to change this now. This is ingrained in me. That little bit of time away, we revert back. Absolutely. We, and, and we call it an interrupter. So a really good example would be, I don't know, if you've got a normal morning routine that you have um around i don't know when you get up or whether you i don't know go for a run before you go to work or you do some meditation or whatever that might be and then something happens to interrupt that um for example you go away for the weekend or you go on holiday or you move house or um that has to not be done one or two days because you know someone's become ill or something like that that interrupter we know that if it generally goes for more than three days, it becomes very hard for us to then bring that back in again. Uh, we kind of fall out of habit. Um, and there, there's lots of theories about how long it takes to form a habit. Some people say it's 30 days. Some people say it's 90 days um, to really, really ingrain a new habit. So if you think that, you know, life does get in the way, we do have interrupters. You know, life isn't the same every day. It doesn't always go smoothly. Um, but absolutely, at some point, we have to be mindful that if something has interrupted that habit, how am I going to get that back? And, and that's just about generally about being conscious about it. Like I've noticed I didn't do this today. So I've noticed that actually for the past three weeks, I've been drinking my two litres of water. And I've noticed that because I had to rush out because my son was ill and then I picked him up from school and then the dog threw up on the carpet or whatever else, I've not been able to do that. It's good to just notice it, not beat yourself up for it, which is what we tend to do, is go, I've just noticed that. I don't want that to become a long-term interrupter. That's just a day for me. And tomorrow I'm going to start with that activity again. For me, that's one of the reasons. And we've put up um, an article today for society members about journaling. But for me, that's one of the reasons I journal. Because if I journal, I keep things at the forefront of my mind of why I'm doing them. Whereas if I don't journal, a goal I set myself maybe or an intention I set myself a few days ago a lot of life has got in the way since and I might have forgotten what it was I was trying to achieve so do you think that by journaling or you know vision boards like having something on even if it's like a picture of a well-behaved dog on the fridge it's, it's just something to remind you um what you're intending to do Absolutely. For me, I mean, I'm a big journaler, as you know, Joe. It's a big, it's a big part. And anyone that follows me on Instagram will see me posting about journaling quite a lot. Um, and so for me, I think it's it's really, really key. And that could literally be a voice note on your phone that you listen to every morning. It could be a couple of could be something that you do have as a really nice, beautiful journal that you really look forward to writing in every day. Not everyone is the same in how they feel about that, but it is about that morning kind of mindset reminder about before I go into doing 
whatever it might be, work, dog training, etc. What 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 are my reminders? What what is kind of my plan for today? And there was something that Sam brought up, which I thought was really interesting about about dog training, about kind of rewarding dog training, um, about you know rewarding increasing a behaviour in a dog, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, whether they get fined, you know, chasing your hair, rewarding, or whether actually doing something for us and then getting praise as a reward. Um, what I found really interesting about what Sam was saying there is that actually often so if we know we find something is not rewarding we decrease the behavior the same as we see that in our dogs is actually as dog trainers if we do not enjoy the dog training we are likely to decrease it as well because we don't find it rewarding so again it's it's about that similar mentality around if I am finding dog training very hard because I'm going through a difficult point with my dog or I'm I'm struggling with my mindset around it or whatever else I'm probably going to make more excuses is the honest answer. I'm probably going to go, oh, do you know what? I'll do that tomorrow. Or do you know what? We'll just cut the dog's training session short. Or actually, I'll, I'll do this or I'll, I'll buy my new, myself a new dummy and that will solve the problem or whatever else. So actually, it's not only about what the dog finds rewarding and making sure that ideally that's a positive thing and that's what we want them to do. Um, but actually, if I don't find what I'm doing rewarding, I'm likely to do it less as well. And do you find that, Sam, where, where people are struggling with their dog training, they sort of fall out of love with the whole process? Absolutely. And it can be, you know, the, the whole element of dog training or it can be specific bits of dog training. And the most common one is heel work because lots of people find it really, really boring. Um, you know, for me, I find heel work can be one of the most rewarding things you can get from a dog, particularly when you've got got it right um you know and it should be like a dance you're working together you're working in partnership and you should get this feeling of wow this is amazing from it but so many people don't um i think you know because they don't enjoy it they then or they find it difficult so they sort of go you know what i'm going to park that one for the day i've had a really bad day at work i'm not going to do that i'm going to do something else because it's then not practiced obviously it doesn't get any better and it's very easy to, to then, you go from that one day, I'm not going to do it today, to, oh, actually, no, I've had a really other tough day and, and I'm not going to do it today either. And all of a sudden, three weeks have gone by and you go, well, you know, it wasn't great, but, oh, oh it's been such a long time now. Do you know, I think I'll start tomorrow and it's really easy to put things off till tomorrow. And of course, tomorrow never comes. Um, so instead of parking it and putting it to one side, when you're finding something difficult, I think we've got to find ways that we can make it easier for both ourselves and the dog. So maybe we lower the criteria or we go to a different area or we say, do you know what? I'm going to build in some heel work in amongst retrieving, which we all find a lot more exciting. But instead of just having a dog sat and then sent for a retrieve, maybe I'm going to heel it forward three paces and then I'm going to sit it and send it. Or maybe I'm going to heel it away from the dummy for five paces and then I'm going to sit it and then I'm going to send it. So we're still doing the fun activity. We've just injected a little bit of what we find really boring in there. So we're working on it and the fun stuff and we're combining the two, which makes us as a, a pair, you know, us and the dog, more likely to get success. And like, that's like the whole like all or nothing. That's just going straight to the nothing. But then if you think about it, when we did over Christmas, the... 24 day challenge they were like the tiniest challenges in the world and the whole group erupted with the most excitement i've ever seen in the group as a group working on a group project of like oh my god i, I healed my dog whilst the kettle boiled and everybody was like feeling this buzz of success and all these things and they were the tiniest little change weren't they do you think if we approached everything we did with just like these tiny little bits like don't make them big things make them these tiny bits we would all find it more rewarding when we actually achieve these little tiny movements forward absolutely and i think i think bringing back to the journaling that you were saying joe is is part of it is is not only we're not only looking at what our dog finds rewarding but what do i find rewarding when i train my dog i'm a human i want to keep up the motivation what do i like doing with my dog um, and how can I build both of those in? And when we go back to those kind of six concepts of change, if I have those right, and I am really clear on what those are, as well as the long-term goal that I've got, 
I am much more likely to keep that maintenance going and I'm much less likely to kind of relapse and kind of have that three day gap and then going, oh, it's been too difficult. I've kind of fallen out of that habit now. So absolutely. What do I find rewarding as well as ideally my dog? Because I want my dog to enjoy my training. Um, but making that a small thing, a small manageable thing. So I'm much more likely to keep the maintenance of that, that action going. So isn't it like we're talking like I know we keep on hitting certain things like we talk about heat work in this because like heat work is most people's demons. But then you look like when child was part of the Uncanon Club and you went to like obedience, like you go to shows, you see like obedience classes. Like those people work so hard for the perfect heel. And I'm like, they're like thriving on it, like loving teaching their dog to be that connected to them. And then this is like, I don't know, I suppose observation in the kind dog world who was like do I have to make it heal? What is it in our mindset that makes like, you know, we talk about the, it's boring, but why can't we seem to fall in love, do you think, Sam, with, with heat work? I think a lot of it is the, the mechanics of a person's brain. So, you know, you get someone that absolutely loves maths and, you know, would really get into algebra and you get other people that love literacy, you know, and it's, I think if you're of a gun dog mindset, if you're a country person, you want to go out working your dog, you know, your, your end goal is to be working as a team with your dog in the field, retrieving pheasants as a peg dog, flushing them in a beating line. However, you're working your dog, the heel work isn't a really important element of that further control as a bigger picture. If you really delve into it, then I believe, yes, it is of paramount importance because I will use heel work to get that engagement, to build that bond with the dog as well. So if I've got the bond and the engagement when the dog is close to me, next to me at heel, then I've got a better chance of success of getting it when the dog is then working further afield. But because we've got that end goal where the dog is working away from us, in our mind, we can sort of compartmentalize and say, well, when it's retrieving out there or when it's on the beating line it's not gonna be next to my heel so I don't need to practice heel work when obviously the reality is between drives and everything else we're gonna need our dog to walk nicely and to not be running through the next drive whilst we're just trying to get to it. I think part of that as well and I think Sam's made a really good point there um, about our minds about it and I think we also have to look at um, if I throw out I don't know, a really long retrieve and it's a blind for my dog and I've got people watching and they don't know anything about gun dog training and I send my dog in for, in, in for it and it comes back and it's beautiful and it presents and it's all, they think that's really cool. It looks like a really cool trick that I can do with my dog. Now, if I then, and I put hours and hours and hours into it, heel work, have my dog to heel beautifully around a field, people that don't understand dogs will go, so. Now, don't get me wrong, I think if we did that in LWDG, we'd probably go like, oh my God, that's amazing. You know, we'd be like, that's a fantastic video because we know the amount of effort and tears and pain and everything else it gets into having that lovely position with our dogs. But to people outside of kind of a dog training community, it's not that flashy. Um, for us, it's flashy for us, absolutely. Like if my dog is walking to heel, I feel like I'm the king of the world at that moment because I'm so grateful that you know, we're actually in sync and he's listening to what I'm saying. Um, but I notice someone else when I'm walking down the road, they just think I'm taking my dog for a walk. Um, so I think sometimes, again, it's about that reward, isn't it? About it looks way better if I'm using a dummy launcher, firing off this dummy into the air. And my dog goes off and brings it back and presents it to me beautifully. I feel like I should get a round of applause for that. Where actually, for me personally, I feel like if my dog does a bit of good heel work for about two minutes, I want a round of applause for that because that's far harder for me to do. Do you know, you say that and I'm literally thinking, hmm, maybe we should have like an LWDG heel work badge. Think guys, we have these like badges. I, like I know for myself, I'm very much a hat on the head type of girl. You know, I'm not even financially driven like, Money's great, everybody needs it to live, but I find you know somebody saying well done far more rewarding than my pay packet. So I think what you're saying is right, isn't it? Like the retrieve in some ways is rewarding in itself. When your dog goes out and gets it, comes back, gives it to you beautifully, that it feels so good inside. 
it is the reward. Whereas heel work's not rewarding in the same way, which is probably why we find ourselves with people who spend hours and hours on certain, um, certain skills, but very little on the ones that are not given. Like, you know, if my dog sits for two minutes and I'm sitting watching him, I'm not that impressed. Even though it's something I've got to do, a tick in a box, it's not a rewarding or exciting job. Do you think there are ways we can trick our mind into thinking they're rewarding? Oh, that's a really good question. And I think if we could do that, I mean, we'd solve anyone's motivational issues. Um, I think, but I think it is about what we find rewarding. And I think, I think absolutely sometimes we get confused about what someone else would find rewarding. So kind of that idea of look at what my dog can do, isn't it great? So someone can go, oh, Emma, you're fantastic at what you've done with your dog. And actually what really is rewarding is overcoming obstacles. We know that we, we will covet something much more when we've worked hard for it. So for example, my two dogs, I've got a very young, um, gun dog he's very inexperienced he's 14 months he's very immature I am a novice handler so I am very immature in that way in my knowledge and I've got a um an 11 year old uh, rescue exactly the same crossbreed now I have not had any issues bizarrely with him in retrieving I could throw out a dummy all day and he plods along he picks it up and brings it back to me I, and, and, and I didn't realise how good I had that, if I'm honest, until I got my second dog. I was like, oh, every dog just does this. This is fine. Um, and so I took that for granted. I didn't find that rewarding because I didn't have to work for it. Now, my young dog, actually, it's taken a long time to get him to find um, retrieving rewarding. And now he's switched on to it. It's the best thing ever for him. Um, but when he brings a dummy back compared to when my older dog brings a dummy back, I get a different reward because I've worked hard for that one. The other one was kind of a bit of a given. So again, it's about maybe us thinking about, yes, do you know what? When we get that moment where our dog is walking to heel and they are glancing up at, up, up at us and we're having that beautiful moment where actually handler and dog are working in perfect coordination. And bear in mind, both of us are agreeing to that relationship in that moment. The dog is agreeing to work with us. The dog is looking to us for guidance and support, you know, and we are looking to work and support to allow the dog to know exactly what we want from it. That perfect point of harmony, that's a fantastic reward. And I think sometimes if we bring that maybe in a little bit more, rather than looking kind of for the flashy stuff, we might find that those little moments where we go, do you know what, actually, I am going to do 10 minutes of heel work before I go and cook the dinner because... I want to have that moment with my dog. I want to be able to find that rewarding. And I want to be able to show the whole of the LWDG that for 10 minutes, my dog actually walked to heel. Um, so if you want that external reward, I mean, we're, we're probably the best group of people to do that because we know how hard those, what seemingly mundane tasks of training your dog to do are. Um, so we will go, that is absolutely amazing because we know what it's like. Um, so yeah, it's about trying to find that balance. Yeah, and I think also we need to realise that as people that are training dogs, we the more we put in, the more we're going to get out. So the more we interact with our dog as we're going, and I don't mean just waffling at it as you're walking along, but, you know, if you're wanting to walk, if you're taking your dog for a walk and you're taking it to the pub, if you give your dog some interaction, and that interaction could be that you've, just done a couple of turns, you've done a bit of stop start, you've varied your pace, or you've given it a real excitable verbal praise as it gave you that eye contact, your dog is gonna, it's more likely to then give you that engagement. Whereas if you just scroll to the pub on the phone to your mates and whatever, it's not gonna give you anything back. Why would it? If we're not giving it anything, why should it give us anything? Um, so we've also got to keep that in our mindset. You know, if we're taking our dog out for a mooch around the lake and we don't speak to it from start to finish, why should it want to come and do something that's going to make us happy? You know, in, in the dog's mind, and it's completely true, it's going to get more reward, it's going to get more happiness if it chases the ducks. And if we're not paying it any attention, it's not going to bother. So the more we put in, the more you get out. And that goes down to heel work as well. And I think sometimes we we're better placed even if we know that we don't enjoy it to 
put on this external appearance that actually we do you know and if we have a bit of a spring in our step and a bit of joviality about us the dog will find it more fun too which means that as a pair we come away going do you know what our relationship i feel really wholesome today because we cracked it we had this fantastic session which then because we all found it rewarding makes us more likely to a want to practice and repeat it but be more likely to get the same result later on down the line i feel there's a future podcast there all about mobile phones and training working gun dogs because i think um me and em talked about this last week a little bit our obsessions with our phones takes away from all parts of our life but i definitely know walking the dog i sometimes disconnect from the dog because i'm connected to the phone checking something you know notifications going off whatever but yeah i think that's definitely one that um we can hit uh thank you very much both for an amazing podcast as always i love our chat so much i forget that we're actually doing a podcast and i just think oh my god we just like learn so much um i hope all the ladies listening have enjoyed i hope you're loving the fact that we are looking more at the versions of dog training when you bring in mindset because we definitely think within the group that that's something we can work on loads we've got amazing dog trainers people like sam people like claire gem M, who are there to help you all the time with your skills we want you to keep on working with uh emma and myself and working on your mindset and pulling them both together so we can all up level and we'll definitely love to see if we can um get some girl guide badges around here work too it might be fun um i hope you all enjoyed thank you both for being fantastic um guests on this podcast as always we love chatting to you and i know our ladies do too please send us your comments if you're loving it put up our link is hashtag lwdg dog on your posts and we will share them and until next week have a fabulous week thank you for listening to lwdg dog with me joe parrot Now we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short 10 minute training sessions each day to fast forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post. Or visit www.thelwdg.com.